Tarsus was in Gentile territory, which means that Saul, good Jewish boy, grew up surrounded by Gentiles. But he took his Jewish faith very seriously. Eventually, he made his way to Jerusalem, where he studied with the eminent theologian of the Jews, Gamaliel. He became a Pharisee. Then he got a job with the religious establishment. His job was to make sure that nothing changed. Why do religious people always want that job? (laughs) The greatest threat to Orthodox Judaism at the time was this ever-expanding church called The Way. They kept insisting that Jesus was risen from the dead and had ascended into heaven. It was such a great threat that Saul was determined to put a stop to it. At the end of chapter 7, we're told that he held everybody's cloaks as they stoned Stephen. In chapter 8, we told that Saul took a more active role and began dragging women and men to jail. And now in chapter 9, we're told that he got orders from the high priest. Actually, he solicited orders from the high priest to go to Damascus because the church was growing up there. He would put a stop to it there as well. You know how the story goes. On the road to Damascus, he's blinded by light. He has an encounter with the ascended Jesus Christ, who asked, why are you persecuting me? So clearly, there was more to God than Saul knew. This is how conversion begins. Notice, this is very important, this is not the conversion of a penitent sinner. Saul was not convicted of his sins, walking down the aisle at an altar call asking for forgiveness. That's not what's going on here. This conversion isn't even Saul's idea. It never is when it's understood properly. This always begins as God's initiative in our lives. It couldn't possibly be our idea if we really understood conversion because it would terrify us what it would mean by its implications. And when you look at the conversion stories in Scripture, One of the things that's absolutely fascinating is that the people God seems to enjoy converting the most are already religious. Now this is getting a little closer to home for us. Remember, Saul had studied a lot of theology before he met God. Maybe He studied more than we have. Then he had his conversion experience. The reason it's so threatening to encounter these kind of conversions of your image of God, which is what this is about. I mean, Saul has discovered, again, there was more to God than he knew, that he had been wrong about God, that in fact God had indeed been revealed in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the Son of God, is the Son of God, now reigning above him. This whole reorientation of his image of God is so threatening. And the reason it's always threatening to understand conversion properly 
is that it undermines the foundations of your life. Whether you realize it or not, your life is built upon what you think about God. If those foundations shift, then the life you had built upon them will crumble. The inverse of this, by the way, is also true. If you really want to make change in your life, it's not going to be possible to your image of God changes. Because we are always made in the image of God, we can even be made in the image of a false God, leaving us with a false image of ourselves. So if you talk to people who are really, really angry long enough, you'll find out that they think God is really torqued off. If you talk to people who are having a hard time with love and intimacy, it's likely because they've never heard the heavens call them the beloved. Judgmental Christians have an extremely hard time giving grace because they've never known how to receive grace from God. Again, what you think about yourself is completely dependent on the image of God. That image has to shift. And when Saul's image of God changes because of this experience he has on the road to do something else horrible, the persecutor of the church is transformed into an apostle of the church who will in fact spend time himself now in jail, just as he previously dragged other people there. We're told that Saul then was taken by the hand because he had been blinded by this discovery, such a powerful metaphor, blinded by this discovery that there's more to God than he knew. He's taken by the hand into Damascus to a house in the street called Straight, and there he sits in darkness for three days. Well, there it is again, three days in darkness. Meanwhile, another religious person is about to have a conversion. Ananias, who is apparently one of the leaders of the church in Damascus, also has an experience in which the risen, ascended Christ comes to him and says, Ananias, I want you to go to the street called Straight. There's a man there named Saul who's blind. I want you to lay hands on him so his sight can be restored. And Ananias tries arguing with Jesus about this and says, Lord, uh, just so that we're clear about this, this is the guy who came here to throw us all in jail. But Jesus is not impressed by Ananias' arguments any more than he's ever been impressed with my arguments. <laughs> Jesus, frankly, doesn't choose to argue. He just repeats the mission and tells Ananias, go. And in one of the most extraordinary moments, I think, in the entire books of Acts, the church gets it right. Ananias goes to his tormentor, and he lays hands on him, and he says to him, Brother Saul. Then the sight is regained, and the church is blessed, and a new apostle is commissioned and baptized, and everything changes. But not until this act of forgiving grace, laying hands on his persecutor, 
and saying, Brother Saul. Down through the centuries, the church has clearly learned this lesson well because so many times in history, the persecuted church has overcome its tormentor by finding a way to say, Brother Saul. And maybe each of us need to think about this in our own lives. Who is there in your life that has really hurt you, who's made you afraid? To whom do you need to go and say, Brother Saul, that the mission of Christ might go forth? There's one other final thing about this I have to include. This is such a rich text. I could spend actually the whole next semester just on Acts 9, but I, I, we got to get going, I know. Um, <laughs> when the Lord is talking to Ananias, he says, I've chosen Saul to be my instrument, and he will proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles and to the kings and to Israel. So apparently, the Lord had a use for a feisty Pharisee who had grown up around Gentiles. What better missionary to the Gentiles than one who grew up with them and knew them well? And what better defender of that mission to the Gentiles than an ex-Pharisee who knew how to talk to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem? The point of this is that it isn't as though God cut off Saul's prior life when he got converted. No, no. Conversion converts his whole life. There's a use. There's a transformation for your whole life. In the hands of a creator, in the hands of a savior, nothing is ever wasted. Not even your mistakes, not even things you're afraid to put in the hands of the savior. Nothing is wasted. God has a holy use for your whole life. It may be hard to see that now. That, that's okay. Just like Ananias, who was converted from fear to hospitality. Just like Saul, who was converted from being a tormentor to being an apostle of the church. So for you, there's, there's a holy mission for all of your life. Just accept the mission. And that will eventually become clear. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.